Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Literature and Lapdogs. For the next couple of episodes I'm going to bring in a guest speaker, my daughter Olivia, who is an avid Jane Austen fan, and we're going to be talking about Jane Austen's various novels, leading up to a discussion about the latest adaptation, the version of Persuasion that was just launched July 15th, 2022. So before we get started with our first episode, which is going to concentrate on Pride and Prejudice, I want to just give a little rundown about Jane Austen for anyone who is not familiar with her um, and her works. So she is probably one of the most important English novelists of all time, I think that's fair. Um, certainly one of the most important of the late 18th and early 19th centuries. She was born in 1787 and she died in 1817, so she was only 41 when she died, but she produced in her lifetime a total of six novels and then various short stories which people, scholars, uh, particularly in the last couple of decades really, have been exploring and um, commenting on and looking at in relation to her longer works. Her novels have been adapted countless times into movies, TV series. Uh, there are also really good um, dramatizations uh, on Audible if anybody wants to go check those out. There's a particularly good one of Northanger Abbey, which is dramatized with Emma Thompson and Anna Chancellor, who played Miss Bingley in the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Um, we're going to start talking about Pride and Prejudice, probably because that is enduringly one of the most the most popular, really, of Austen's novels, and has so many great adaptations, and um, yeah, it's just it's an enduring favourite, and I think the first one of Austen's novels that I read, and I'm fairly sure it's the first one my daughter read as well, that Jane and Bingley shouldn't be together, right, or that, you know, Jane's not sufficiently attached to Bingley and she may be trying to marry him for his money, which of course Wickham's just trying to do with Georgiana. So, yeah, yeah. I see that. I see that's what I think. That's that is more what was going on with Darcy. It's not that he doesn't recognise Jane being shy. It's more that his his judgment is off because he's just been through this like emotional thing with his sister that he probably that he doesn't appear to process properly until much later when he actually, you know, intervenes and stops Wickham and says, you know, is is intervening with the gardeners and basically recognises that yeah, if I hadn't. If I hadn't sat on this and, and felt that it was beneath me to, you know, air my family's dirty laundry or whatever, <laughs> um, which of course is not actually what he's doing when he comes clean about Georgiana's situation and, and you know, confronts Wickham about it. That's not, it's not airing dirty laundry, it's recognising, it's talking about the Wickham as a predator. It's recognising. Right? It's recognising. Yeah, he's recognised that he has an obligation to, to as step in. a wealthy person, as someone who knows Wickham well. Right. As someone whose sister has just been victimised. Right, precisely. Yeah, and he's the protector, right? He's in the protector role. And he's also been victimised as well, because obviously the mm-hmm. secondary motive, as he points out, was to revenge himself on me. So, um, yeah. His revenge would have been Would have been complete, indeed. Yeah, I mean... As presumably it is to to a lesser extent when he marries Lydia, because the prospect of Lydia, be, well, yeah, except Elizabeth doesn't seem all that moved with the prospect of, of Lydia being miserable, right? I mean, she tries to do what she can, it says at the end of the novel, but it's not, yeah. 
but Jane Casmore. Jane Casmore, right? It was, it was sort of not it was that sort of like yeah, yeah. You yeah. get yourself into this. Yeah, well, that's kind of unfair considering. It's completely she's unfair 15. given she's fifteen. Yeah, and given that Wickham was was completely manipulating her, as in fact he manipulated Elizabeth herself. So, yeah, uh, which is why the novel is worth reading because these questions about like responsibility and culpability. Yeah. Deeply complicated. Very, very complicated. Right, and the and the the taboo of of Wickham as predator is, I think, what actually makes this novel so compelling. Even even if that's not what people register as the the reason why it's um, so engaging. I mean, everybody obviously loves the love story between Darcy and Elizabeth and and everything else. But ultimately, the what brings them together is Darcy acknowledging what Wickham did to Georgiana and his like his his predatory nature and the fact that in his position Darcy has an obligation to, to step up and, and protect um, others. Almost acknowledging the part that he played in Wickham marrying Lydia. Yeah. Wickham running off with Lydia. Right, exactly. Yeah, because almost taking responsibility for that. Have done that if, if not for registering probably. Registering I mean, Darcy's connection. Darcy's oldest friend, he can probably recognise. Oh, he has to, otherwise but. it makes no sense that he marries Lydia, right? Or targets her, because what you know, he's not he's not stupid. He knows that the, the Bennets don't have enough money. Yeah, and why would he do that if he doesn't the think only, that Darcy's, Darcy's going to step well. in? Yeah, it's the only the only thing that makes sense about that, unless of course he's been really savvy and clocked that the gardeners are loaded, but. There's no reason for him to miss it. Well, I mean, he meets the gardeners, actually. Doesn't he? Briefly. Isn't Lantern supposed to be pretty well off? Yeah. And because, I mean, it owes much of its prosperity. Is that great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think I think so, the point about, I mean, it's always. Gardeners probably not that poor. No. Well, but it's, all, it's always struck me that Mr. Bennett. Who is obviously who obviously knows the gardeners very very well is, you know, believes that Mr. Gardner paid Wickham. I mean, he does until I mean, obviously he even knows never tells him. never tells him right. So he never knows any different. He assumes that the gardeners did it, which means that he believes that they can, which means that he knows that they must they must be that wealthy, which given Mr. Gardner's business prospects, yeah, that's entirely possible actually. Also, um, I find it interesting that Mr. Bennett would never try to invest in Mr. Gardner to raise his family's fortunes even a little bit. That's interesting too, but that, I mean, the one thing we do know about Mr. Bennett is that he actually doesn't take... I mean, I think actually Mr. Bennett, we're going to end up talking about this in longer, but Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett are actually quintessentially the op- polar opposites. Okay, so we're going to talk about Pride and Prejudice and we're going to sort of let the discussion go where it goes, but we're going to start um, by framing the discussion with a couple of, of key questions, uh, one in particular, which is, you know, why is this a book that people should read? Um, and a, I guess a follow-up to that related question is like, why is it a book that those who do read it still really, really enjoy? And then thirdly, uh, I think we're probably actually going to start with this one. What are some of the major misconceptions about this novel, which you know, on the surface might be dismissed as a, as a story about, you know, a rich, a rich couple <laughs> getting, getting together, um, and ultimately living happily ever after. Cause they what? Cause they hate each other. 
they hate each other initially yeah i mean it's not it's not exactly an, a, an original concept the the enemies to lovers right the the what the enemies to lovers enemies to lovers story. enemies to lovers story yeah, yeah yeah which i mean if you <laughs> i taught this alongside much to do about nothing um last semester which is really interesting because there are so many similarities in the way that the relationship between Darcy and Elizabeth is constructed and if you you know know the play much to do about nothing how Benedict and Beatrice essentially interact in the first place and then how they they get together as well um some differences but uh, a lot of their sort of their their banter is similar right and yeah the enemies to lovers idea um Olivia, you were talking about the, uh, the thing you found on the internet about Pride and Prejudice. Okay. Talking about the misconception that it's not about two people who hate each other and get married, but that it's about a rich, privileged guy who like, actively lets a predator into the community. And he gets called out by a woman he genuinely respects and admires. And he realizes that his responsibility as a privileged person is to protect the vulnerable. Yeah. And he eventually helps out Elizabeth's sister, of course, and not to point score or anything. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's that's something that I talked about a lot with my students when I taught it last semester, which is the the backstory of Georgiana Darcy really and um and George Wickham and George Wickham's personality and his presence in the community um and also sort of what Darcy's role is in I, I don't want to say facilitating his presence exactly but like not taking steps that might well I mean he, ta- he takes full responsibility and, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the novel but I mean Darcy does take full responsibility in the end for Wickham right I mean essentially paying all of his debts forcing you know finding him in the first place forcing him to marry George, um, Lydia um, and then you know arranging helping to arrange for him to have somewhere to go and you know an occupation that's going to you know, keep him keep him busy Right. Um, and the reason for him doing that, aside from the fact that, you know, we were supposed to buy into the, the romance with Elizabeth and, you know, the fact at the end that he says, you know, I did it, essentially I did it for you. Um, the awareness, too, that it's, that it is his responsibility um, because he's aware of, of the risk that Wickham poses, you know, to, to young women, right? And, you know, not obviously... Lydia is the ultimate you know, the person he actually gets a hold of, um, but she's not the only one that he goes after, right? Yeah, obviously. Right. I mean, the two that we know about, yeah, like you said, is Georgiana Darcy and, and uh, Mary King, who's kind of mentioned in passing. Um, but the reality that there were men like this in the community is obviously something that Austin's actually really quite engaged with because um i think the other the second novel we're going to talk about uh in a later episode is sense and sensibility which has a very very similar um plot line right and with and characters, and characters yeah and particularly particularly this like wiccan character this this predator in the community who is incredibly charming and um a, you know a, 
really, really effective at engaging with people around him and, and essentially manipulating them. Um, we were talking earlier today about how Wickham actually kind of, actually how he manipulates Elizabeth. Okay. And in terms of how that manipulation happens, we were talking earlier about how Elizabeth like conveys information to Wickham about her perception of Darcy right at the beginning. Um, and Wickham basically like imitates a lot of her, a lot of her language, right? Yeah. So there's a bit where she's like, the text says she said something warmly and then Wickham later says, I have a warm and open temper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's another bit too about, um, the fact that she says he's not at all like in Hertfordshire and Wickham and says that he's liked everywhere he goes, which of course isn't even true. He's liked every, yeah, he's liked everywhere he goes, but yeah, he's not at all liked in Hertfordshire. Um, as a kind of way of, I mean, presumably Wickham says that because he he has to deal with the fact that people actually do kind of like Darcy. I mean, he's not so wild. I mean, he's certainly not wildly unpopular where he's actually from. I mean, as Elizabeth discovers later, but he's not so loathed everywhere else. Actually, that yeah, with people he's familiar with, he's just fine. In fact, he's like he's you know perfectly amiable as the expression goes right if he wasn't it wouldn't it wouldn't work out but Wickham has to kind of um <laughs> has to, this is why it's literature and lap dogs we've got dogs fighting in the background here um yeah I mean I suppose Wickham has to do some groundwork with Elizabeth to make sure when he when she when she hears about other people's opinion of Darcy right that she's not gonna <laughs> She's not going to just, she's not going to realize that Wickham's lying through his teeth about <laughs> background and stuff. information about Darcy until he knows what she thinks about him. Yeah. He, what she knows about him. Right. Told her. Yep. And then also he contradicts himself when he's talking about like Georgiana and how it pains him to speak ill of her. Yeah. And then he later says that she's very much like her brother. Yeah, grown proud, right? He talks about her being proud and... Um, she's literally like 16. Yeah, well, I mean, which again is kind of like Wickham, right? I mean, not Wickham, sorry. Um, well, Willoughby, right, yeah. Um, in terms of the... I mean, obviously that's to... That's essentially to Marianne's face, right? That he that he kind of, you know, when he gaslights her and says, you know, well, how could you possibly have mistaken this for anything more than friendship, right? Um I mean, Wickham's doing the doing the the second part of that, which is like spreading rumors to other people about Georgiana and sort of casting doubt on her reputation. You know, when he was, you know, if he if he was ever genuinely interested in her, that that really throws extreme doubt on that. Right. I'd also like to make a point about the parallels between Marianne Willoughby and what Charlotte Lucas does, because. Actually, Charlotte Lucas says she should, Jane should show more of what she feels and not less, but Elizabeth says that you shouldn't exaggerate your feelings. Right. And you should probably be more guarded, I think. And Marianne Willoughby are, like, so intimate 
Like, yeah, they, very quickly. They actually go off to Alanum without notifying anyone, like right? Mrs. Yeah. Smith. Yeah. And it's really improper. Yeah. And everyone thinks they're engaged. Right, which is kind of akin to the whole Northanger Abbey running off in the carriage story, right? Actually, <laughs> notes about it but it's a reverse of a gothic trope when Catherine gets carried off carried off yeah, whisked off. yeah which is why it also is kind of similar with that with Marianne right that it's it's that she's I mean she's so invested with um Willoughby in the beginning with romanticism and the extension of that being the gothic right and the um sort of the death it's impossible for them to say what they don't feel right yeah yeah Okay, so we're going to bring it back to talking about a couple of the other minor-ish characters in the text. So we're going to we're going to talk about Georgiana and Anne de Berg for a little bit because having just been talking about Wickham and you know, characters like him, and w really Wickham's Wickham's uh, sabotage of Georgiana's reputation, which we were just talking about as well. We kind of want to segue into talking about Elizabeth's reaction to Georgiana and why that's important. And then also aspects of her attitude towards Anderberg and also the presentation of Anderberg as a character within the text. Okay, so you were just saying about Georgiana. Well, that she's shy and that Elizabeth catches on to the fact that she's shy. Yeah. Like as soon as she meets her, whereas she didn't with, with Darcy. Darcy. Yep. And I mean, probably the fact that this has occurred after the disastrous first proposal. <laughs> yeah. And that's her paradigm shift. Right, definitely. So that's yep. probably part of it. And why she doesn't clock on to Anderberg being anything less than a haughty. Catherine. Lady Catherine, yeah, the haughty version of Lady Catherine, despite the fact that haughty version, of haughty version of Lady Catherine. I mean, it says it. it I'm just looking at the summaries. I mean, it's a while since like, I haven't gone into Pride and Prejudice and specifically looked at Anderberg's character, but actually, it strikes me as a, an interesting thing to do in the context of like disability studies because she's repeatedly described as being sickly, having an inferior constitution, and so only Mr. Collins who talks about well, Mr. Collins kind of compliments her but it's it's a it's a class infused compliment right that she has this beauty that's inherent of her like de demonstrates her uh her superior social class right she has she has the features that demonstrate that she's basically part of the nobility um given how ingrained she's stereotypically nobility stereotypically is she probably does have yeah, yeah, we were talking about the inbreeding prospect as well, um, and ga gauging how old she is, right, she has to be about the same age as Darcy, because the other comment that we had when, when Lady Catherine de Berg is railing at Elizabeth, right, one of the things she, she points out is that uh, from, the, from their cradle, they, the, their mother is, right, so uh, Lady Catherine de Berg and her sister, and Lady, Anne. Yeah, Lady Anne Darcy, right, were planning... Um, the betrothal of Anderberg and Mr. Darcy, which, yeah, with cousins marrying, which is not unusual in Austen's time period. Um, Given the fact that they are 
and it's, it's not even actually illegal. Like I, I actually ended up doing uh, a very quick research <laughs> exercise on this because my students were were kind of horrified that so many so many cousins get married in literature. Um, you know, this is a, Pride and Prejudice would be by no means an exception by suge suggesting. Yeah, yeah, Fanny and Edmund, right? Um, and Jay, yeah, Jane Austen is by no means an exception with this. Um, of course, because they've grown up together. Technically. Yes, right, and and indeed uh, Frankenstein as well, right? Frankenstein and Elizabeth, but but in very in other versions, she's not his cousin, right? But they're originally, I think it's either yeah, originally I think she's she's presented as being his cousin. In any case, they do grow up together, so the incestuous part is there as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it is interesting that Elizabeth doesn't pick up on Anderberg as, as anything other than snobbish, but the only information she really has about her, aside from the fact that she doesn't appear to say really anything, um, and Lady Anderberg is her mother, um, is that she never deigns to, um, or she rarely deigns to enter the Collins' house, right? She doesn't frequently go inside. Um, Keeps Charlotte standing out of doors, right? Which Elizabeth thinks is the height of, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, of being impolite, really, and sort of the importuning Charlotte. Um, yeah, although apparently the only thing she they mentioned that she does enjoy is kind of going around in her in her gig. Um, she's in four. She's in four. Yeah, fair enough. It doesn't look like this. I'm trying to remember what it looks like how they do it in the film. Whether it is a shades in four. I don't think I don't think it is. I think it's too I'm small. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> That's why she's classic. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Seems like it would be appropriate though, given given the way Lady Catherine is about carriages later on in the night. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, Anderberg a little bit more and the possibility that um, part of what's going on with her is something akin to Munchausen by proxy. Um, that she's that she's presented as such an invalid and so you know so limited in her life and opportunities right given given her position in society which is kind of absurd right and that we never actually know specifically what's wrong with her yeah we never hear what's wrong with her yeah and lady catherine never takes any steps to actually take her somewhere that might be beneficial and for her health. Sure her health right which would have been fairly standard practice for the time period, right? Probably you you'd go somewhere for your yeah, to recuperate. And then they take Mr. Allen to Bath because he might have gout. Right, yeah. The the <laughs> So, um yeah, Northanger Abbey, right? The Allens are, are basically destined to go to Bath because of his potential gout, right? Not even not even absolutely confirmed. Um just to stave off to stave gout. off gout, yes. Um, gentleman's disease, right? Um, yeah, so, and obviously, I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities that Lady Catherine could take, could take her daughter, um, you know, somewhere like Bath or even, like, go abroad for um, a stint for an improved climate if, you know, um, she's truly ailing, but there's no evidence that that's happening. And what's probably more, um, like, definitive evidence of, of, something that's vaguely sinister in the terms of how uh, Lady Catherine Berg raises her daughter is the fact that she doesn't have, you know, much in the way of education, right? She She's never, you know, followed through with 
um, you know, the, the kind of learning opportunities that Darcy is talking with Elizabeth about, in fact, and, and Miss Bingley as well, right? And, and I mean, Miss Bingley, Bingley about. Was educated in a seminary, wasn't she? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And um, in any case, the conversation that, that Darcy and Elizabeth have about women and their. Uh, what, how they should be educated, right, in reading and language, well, not spingly, but um, embroidery. embroidery and art and everything else, the fact that Anderberg doesn't appear to have any, you know, she doesn't have a single, even a singular sort of hobby that suggests that she really had much of an education, which, I mean, if you think of invalid characters, even, um, I mean, I think Helen in, in Jane Eyre, right, reads a lot, that's, what, that's one of her... She's very pious. She's very pious, and she also she reads a lot. And then um, you think of Beth in Little Women, right? She's always playing. Her, she's sickly, but she's always playing her piano, for instance. Um, you know, there would be, and, she, and she, of course, she's still educated. So um, that the scope of Anderberg's um, illness is very interesting in that sense, um, and it's consistent with Lady Catherine, right? Because Lady Catherine shouting through the. Um, through the hallway, basically, when Elizabeth is attempting to play the piano, about how if she'd ever, if she'd ever truly learned, she would have been truly proficient, right? Um, I mean, the fact yeah. If she'd ever learned. If she'd ever learned, exactly. She didn't. She didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, and nobody, of course, has a better appreciation of music than she does, but, you know, she never learned. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Georgiana has a piano. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Georgiana has a piano. Precisely, but even even for all of her, and obviously she's not like um, presented as being physically ill at all, right? Um, she still has that as an outlet, um, and there's no educa- there's no suggestion that she doesn't have you know access to a good education. Obviously, she does, right? She's been away at school for a while. You know, Darcy, who probably took great pains to ensure that she had a very good education. Education, yeah, precisely. Um, yeah, what we know of Darcy and even Darcy's father, right, to the extent that... Um, he was probably called George. <laughs> probably called George. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, I, I've had the debate about Cambridge situation <laughs> in Wickham um, in, a, in an Austin class where I... Well, it wasn't in a complete Austin class, but it was we were reading... Um, I think it was when we were reading Mansfield Park and persuasion and we got into went off topic talking about pride and prejudice um, which is probably a good segue into talking about why people still love this and why it's like the austin novel um but we got into a debate about the fact that wickham says that he went to cambridge darcy it's never confirmed where darcy goes but uh, my my very strenuous argument about that was like there's absolutely no way that old mr darcy's would send his ward to Cambridge and then send his son to Oxford. That's just, it's not going to happen, right? First of all, I mean, I'm probably biased as a Cambridge just a, just a tad, yeah. But Cambridge isn't that better than Oxford. <laughs> and, okay, I'm staying out of that one. And yeah. you wouldn't, like, Darcy and Wickham are companions, right? Essentially, yeah. I mean, they grow up together, right, is, um, is the idea. Even yeah. the fact that even if... Oh, Miss Darcy Warren Wickham's godfather and Wickham Warren his ward. Right. Like, he. Wickham is Darcy's companion before Wickham's father dies. Yep. They're the same age, so. Right. You um, wouldn't separate them. No, no, and you wouldn't. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, right? I mean. <laughs> 
like to think perhaps we've moved on from the old rivalry between universities, but but you know, I, you know, as a so, so I don't prefer Sprog. I prefer Oxford Sprog rather than Cambridge, like Oxford Brat, because I technically wasn't in Oxford when my dad was studying there. But um, like the fact that that uh, my introduction to Cambridge by my Oxford educated father included a tour of the the river that's not deep enough to drown in, um, and <laughs> various other various other features, the the various uh, lawns and things at the back of the colleges where students obviously go not to study, um, <laughs> was was pretty consistent. And then the fact that I got uh, quite quite consistently whilst I was studying at Cambridge um, as like birthday presents. Uh, books that were published by Oxford University Press. I felt that was quite a deliberate move as well. So um, may, it may just be my father, but um, no, I think there, I think to a certain extent the rivalry is alive and well. And um, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, right? They're, they are they're of an age. Why would you? Why would you separate them? I mean, there's very little difference between the two institutions, except you know the the one that you prefer or not. Um, so yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the quality of education for Georgiana is likely to be, is likely to be very good, right? High standards, etc. Um, interesting that the same opportunities are not available for Anne Berg, right? Well, they probably um, are available, well, probably not, are extended, available, not to extended to her, yeah, uh, for whatever reason, uh, her mother, <laughs> yeah. Always the mother. Always the mother. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> like she really should have had her debut, right? Yeah, she should have been presented at court. Entering her 30s. Entering, the, yeah, the years of danger, right? <laughs> That's in persuasion. In persuasion, right, which is coming up next, uh, so stay tuned. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, she is in the, I mean, she's she's the same age as Darcy, yeah, she's, she's approaching her 30s, right, rapidly. Um, yes since even before marrying Elizabeth, although Lady Catherine obviously likes to disillusion herself, not disillusion, Lady Catherine likes to illusion, likes to imagine otherwise. Yeah. God, I cannot talk. <laughs> Lady yeah. Catherine likes to imagine otherwise. He's never expressed an interest in Anne. No. Right. I and mean, he's not, he's not in any way particularly attentive to her or anything else and, and you know, no one is. No one is, in good. fact, including <laughs> including her own mother. Um, yeah. Also, Mrs. Jenkinson is of an age with Lady Catherine, right? Presumably, I'm not. I don't remember like what age she's represented as being. I haven't read um, the book in a while, so I, I don't yeah. remember if they specifically say how old she is. I don't. I don't think they do. Um, I mean, I've I've read it to teach it. Recently, and I don't. That doesn't stand mm. out Does to Mary me. Does Mary Lucas actually call her old Mrs. Jenkinson? Uh, possibly, that possibly happens, but that doesn't. I mean, in fairness, but as, as since we're talking about right, she's a baby. Well, yeah, but since we're also talking about thirty as the year of danger, right, or thirties as the years of danger, and old anything in relation to a woman isn't really indicative of them being much over 30. Thank you very much. Yeah, I know, yeah, the Saturday, Saturday Night Live sketch comes to mind on that one. The, the medieval attitude. Turns out she's just a woman in her 30s. In her 30s, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty consistent for 
most time periods, not just uh, not just medieval period, as it turns out, also Austin's day. Okay, so uh, we're going to wrap this up um, talking about why this text is not only why it's worth reading, which hopefully we've kind of covered, but also why it's something that people still love to read when, like I think we said at the beginning, right, in, in so many ways it's could be reduced to being the story of, you know, two very wealthy people, one particularly wealthy person and one, you know, wealthy-ish person, um, you know, having having some marital, not marital, some relationship difficulties uh, before they <laughs> before they achieve marital bliss. Um, yeah. So why why do we think it's still something that why why is it the V novel of Jane Austen's that people really really love? So I mean, <laughs> and why is Elizabeth become the definitive strong woman? Yeah. Why is yeah okay? Why is Elizabeth the definitive strong woman? Um. Strong woman character. Strong woman character. Um, I mean, it might well have something to do with the fact that she <laughs> she reforms, right? Um, she she can be essentially re-educated about Darcy over the course of the book, uh, which is perhaps not the right way of putting it, but also perhaps it is the right way of putting it because. I mean, they both sort of re-educate each other. They do, yeah. And their prides and their prejudices. Right. Yes. And actually, I think it's kind of weird and funny that Jane is in fact shy. Mm, yeah. Also, that Elizabeth probably weird that Elizabeth also doesn't recognise that in Darcy, but yeah. But also that she doesn't. I mean, that Darcy doesn't recognise that in Jane. Yeah, given his sister, actually, that's a fair point. Given right. his sister and given himself. Given his oh sister God. and given his own experiences, like his his notion that he's an you know impartial observer of Jane and concludes that she really doesn't seem that attached but to she Bingley. Likes him, she likes him, not but not much. not not enough, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, given yeah, given that his, I mean, in Elizabeth's case with Darcy, I mean, it's almost excusable because she doesn't have. I mean, she doesn't have a brother, right? Which is maybe a way of reducing it <laughs> to a point of it being useful. But I, but it's fair, right? You get you get different experiences of, of like, the opposite gender if you have siblings of the opposite gender, right? Um, mm. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, you do. I mean, and and yeah, but at the same time, like Elizabeth and Jane aren't unaware of of men, right? They they they've been around and about long enough. Right, that they're clearly the quite. Lucas's are brothers, right? Well, Lucas's are brothers. Yeah, I think so. And, and Elizabeth probably doesn't really register that Jane is as shy as she is because right. she knows Jane well. Yeah, and it's and I think I'm right in remembering this is actually a detail in the book as well as in the series that it's not the first infatuation that Jane's had either. It's not the first infatuation that Bingley's had. Right, well, yeah, we know so that. Which is why Darcy's which suspicious. Which is why Darcy's suspicious, yeah. But it's also not Jane's first attachment either, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and remembering that? Young men. Yeah, well, I know, I know they say oh, that yeah, in the series, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's also in the book, right? That he's, that it's not. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're so well respected in the community as a, as a pair that they have to be. They have to have had attention from other men at some point. Um, she's around 23. Yeah, so she's not, and they've been out for a while, right? Um, 
inevitably by that age. So yeah, it's it doesn't quite track that they're completely oblivious. Um, but it's it's more excusable, I think, in Elizabeth than it is in Darcy because he's got, you know, he does have a sister who is younger, who is shy, who's sort of negotiating. He's also negotiating, well, yeah, but I mean, he may also be, given the time period when, uh, the, so the time sequence in the novel of when everything happens with Georgiana, right, that's actually pretty close on the heels of when he separates Bingley and Jane, right? Am I right in remembering that? Yeah, so in which case... It's probably more that he doesn't realise how skewed his opinion is, right? Um, to be, yeah, to be basically, yeah, well, exactly. So it's it's right, be yeah, they go there in September, right? So it's basically right before that he intervenes and decides that, that Jane and Bingley shouldn't be together, right? Or that... You know, Jane's not sufficiently attached to Bingley and she may be trying to marry him for his money. Which, of course, Wickham's just trying to do with Georgiana. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I see that. I see, that's what I think that's, that is more what's going mm -hmm. on with Darcy. It's not that he doesn't recognise Jane being shy. It's more that his, his judgement is off because he's just been through this, like, emotional thing with his sister that he probably, that he doesn't appear to process properly until much later when he actually you know, intervenes and stops Wickham and says, you know, is, is intervening with the gardeners and basically recognises that, yeah, if I hadn't, if I hadn't sat on this and, and felt that it was beneath me to, you know, air my family's dirty laundry or whatever, <laughs> um, which of course is not actually what he's doing when he comes clean about Georgiana's situation and, and you know, confronts Wickham about it. That's not, it's not airing I mean, dirty laundry, it's recognising, it's talking about the Wickham as a predator. It's recognizing. Right. It's recognizing. Yeah, he's recognizing that he has an obligation to to as step in. A wealthy person, as someone who knows Wickham well. Right. As someone whose sister has just been victimized. Right. Precisely. Yeah, and he's the protector. Right. He's in the protector role, and he's also been victimized as well, because obviously the mm -hmm. secondary motive, as he points out, was to revenge himself on me. So, um, yeah. His revenge would have been would have been complete, indeed. Yeah, I mean, as presumably it is to to a lesser extent when he marries Lydia, because the prospect of Lydia, well, yeah, except Elizabeth doesn't seem all that moved with the prospect of of Lydia being miserable, right? I mean, she tries to do what she can. It says at the end of the novel, but it's not, yeah. But Jane cares more. Jane cares more, right? Elizabeth's sort of not that sort of like. Yeah. yeah, you get yeah. yourself into this. Yeah, Although that's kind of unfair considering. It's completely she's unfair 15. given she's fifteen. Yeah, and given that Wickham was was completely manipulating her, as in fact he manipulated Elizabeth herself. So, yeah, uh, which is why the novel is worth reading because these questions about like responsibility and culpability. Yeah. Deeply complicated. Very very complicated. Right, and the and the the taboo of of. Wickham as predator is what I think what actually makes this novel so compelling. Even even if that's not what people register as the the reason why it's um, so engaging. I mean, everybody obviously loves the love story between Darcy and Elizabeth and and everything else. But ultimately, the, what brings them together is Darcy acknowledging what Wickham did to Georgiana and his like his his predatory nature and the fact that. Mm -hmm. 
in his position, Darcy has an obligation to, to step up and, and protect almost, others. Almost acknowledging the part that he played in Wickham marrying Lydia. Yeah. Wickham running off with Lydia. Right, exactly. Yeah, because almost taking responsibility for that. Done that. If not for registering, probably. Registering I mean, Darcy's connection. Darcy's oldest friend, he can probably recognise. Oh, he has to, otherwise it makes no sense that he marries Lydia, right? Or targets her. Because, what, you know, he's not he's not stupid. He knows that the, the Bennets don't have enough money. Yeah, and why would he do that if he doesn't yeah, think that Darcy's, Darcy's going to step in? Him. Yeah, it's the only, the only thing that makes sense about that. Unless, of course, he's been really savvy and clocked that the gardener's not loaded, but... There's no reason for him to miss it. Well, I mean, he, he meets the gardeners, actually. Doesn't he? Briefly. Briefly. Lantern's supposed to be pretty well off. Yeah. Because, I mean, it owes much of its prosperity. Is that great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I think I think so, the point about... I mean, it's always... Gardner's probably not that poor. No. Well, but it's, all, it's always struck me that Mr. Bennett... Who is obviously who obviously knows the gardeners very very well is, you know, believes that Mr. Gardener paid Wickham. I mean, he does until I mean, obviously even mm-hmm. no never tells, him. never tells him right. So he never knows any different. He assumes that the gardeners did it, which means that he believes that they can, which means that he knows that they must they must be that wealthy, which given Mr. Gardener's business prospects, yeah, that's entirely possible actually. Also, um, I find it interesting that Mr. Bennett would never try to invest in Mr. Garner to raise his family's fortunes even a little bit. That's interesting too, but that, I mean, the one thing we do know about Mr. Bennett is that he actually doesn't take... I mean, I think actually Mr. Bennett, we're going to end up talking about this in longer, but Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett are actually quintessentially the op- polar opposites. And the epitome of bad parenting, because basically Mrs. Bennett is... Like she's she's powerless, but she really, really, really cares about getting her daughters married, right? Whereas, Whereas Mr. Mr. Bennett, Bennett actually has, has the, power the power in the relationship and care. really doesn't give a crap, right? I mean, he does, but he's also entirely lackadaisical about managing their well-being. He sort of laughs at his wife for being so. Int- I mean, the fact, even the fact that he is making a joke with her about going to visit Bingley in the first place, that really does set up their dynamic in, as parents, right? And, and and as taking a role in managing their daughter's futures, which are, you know, hanging in the balance, right? I mean, I know, yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Bennett obviously is there to laugh at. I mean, she's ridiculous in so many ways, but the fact that she, you know, retires to the sick room and is so, like... She's is so over the top, anxious all the time. All the time. Yeah, I mean, actually, giving as some, uh, being powerless as she is, and and legitimately facing the prospect of of not actually knowing what's going to happen to her if her husband dies, which in the time period is entirely possible, virtually at any point, I mean, right? She'd have to rely on her yeah. brother-in-law. She'd have to rely on her brother-in-law. Her brother in London, precisely. And she probably couldn't rely as much on her brother because he's got a bunch of children of his own, right? Right, and there's no, I mean, and we know from Sense and Sensibility that there are no guarantees on that, right? Even if you have a wealthy relative, I mean, and, and so Austin obviously is very, very well aware of this, which means by extension her characters are well aware of this, that 
just you know just having a relative or even two relatives or two brothers who who are potential um supports in the event of Mr. Bennett's death that is no guarantee whatsoever and regardless the chances of them having reduced circumstances pretty much a given right so yeah I mean their circumstances already aren't great but if they go even lower (laughs) they're gonna have to marry into the working class right (laughs) yeah yeah for for that particular so but but yeah exactly they would I mean, in terms of if you think the the conversation about the Bingleys and the you know the grasping nature of Miss Bingley, right? Their goal, it, it, which is 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 the driving goal for for people in that society. It's your one job. It's like Henry VIII and his one job to have a male heir, right, to pass his throne on. Um, it maybe seems kind of absurd and superficial for that to be the thing that you're so fixated on. But the idea, if you are in the class that the the Bennets are in, even, um, or you know, certainly if you're in the class that the Bingleys are in, right, where you want to continue being upwardly, right, exactly, they're not landed gentry lit, so they the being upwardly mobile, and that's why Bingley's sisters are so insistent that you purchase an estate, estate, exactly, yeah, and that's why Miss Bingley is so fixed on a double Darcy wedding, right, because she wants access to. In property, right? Um, to you know, to land, to have access to then, then next step up being a title, right? That's the. Uh, I mean, Darcy's uncle and grandfather are earls. Earls, right? Yeah. So, it's not completely out of the realm of possibilities. No. That. His children. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he could get. Well, I mean, look at uh, um, a little bit later on, but in Daniel Deronda, right? Grandcourt is, you know, one step away from be from having a title, right? He's the heir apparent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no, baronet, yeah. So Hugo Mallinger is a baronet, um, and he's he puts uh, Mallinger Grandcourt within like one degree of separation from the title so it's entirely possible in Darcy's case as well with all of his various relatives etc that you know something might fall his way at some point um yeah so I think I mean to, to actually wrap this up um as opposed to to trying to wrap this up and continue in short for about 15 minutes um yeah, what makes it so compelling and why it's the the, the text that people love so much is that underneath this seemingly quite simple and much interpreted and reinterpreted uh, love story, a retold love story um, that is, is adapted, it is adapted so many times right, mm-hmm. it's the, both both the form of the love story, right, and and the love story Pride and Prejudice adapted so many times um, that it's, there is there is real substance underneath um, and it's and it's substance, it's concerns that are still relevant even um for people today at least at least to some degree right anxiety about what happens to you um you know if something devastating happens to your family which is you know kind of the situation for the bennets and then um you know i i will i will keep harping on about the situation with with wickham as a predator but i mean it's 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 pretty fundamental and a problem that is still dealt with today so, who are Jane Austen? 